Get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the good, the bad, and the nerdy movie podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me again is Will and Bruce. Hello. Howdy, sailor. <laughs> so we're continuing our uh, series on 1994 films. So uh, last time we covered uh, the Best Picture winner, Forrest Gump. Today we're covering a film that didn't win Best Picture, didn't get nominated, but did actually win a couple of major Oscars. So, uh, and one that I think most people, a lot of people argued should have been nominated over some other films, which we'll get when we get further down the line, we'll debate that further. But uh, this film won uh, Best Supporting Actor for Martin Landau and Best Makeup for, basically, for Martin Landau's makeup. We're talking about Tim Burton's uh, acclaimed, but not well seen, not many people saw over the time, Ed Wood. Yeah, uh, so... A little background from me. Uh, I hadn't seen this until I watched it for this podcast, and um, I actually found it a little hard to watch. Um, actually, I found it a lot hard to watch. I'll be perfectly honest. I may have skits, uh, missed some bits because I was constantly in and out of this film, uh, watching a little bits in here and there um, because it's – anyway, I don't want to talk about why – I bounced off this film pretty freaking hard because I really, really wanted to like this film so much. It is everything. It, it has all the right notes to be. I mean, it is a, a lovingly crafted tribute to the horror films of the, the 40s and 50s, specifically the, the low budget side of things. Um, it's, you know, got atmosphere. It's got mood. It's got tone. And that tone just hurts me every time I watch this or watch parts of this film. Yeah, I don't think, interestingly enough, like the way I would put it is the the unless you happen to be someone who really, you know, is in the in, in the film tradition and you're interested in the topic of you know Ed Wood's material and like or or you're just like go to those, you know, uh mst3k revivals or things like that like if you're here this is for you because it was done uh, to your point lovingly with craftsmanship and beautifully done um i mean this is a a finely made film and i don't think that can be argued it's you know beautiful it it is beautifully shot i even recognized some of the shots they were stealing from various things having just seen them on television like in parody with like abbott and costello versus the vampire like you will note that like the underlit shots the shadows loom tall and all of this stuff black and white filmmaking it absolutely had to be black and white so i totally see it and in this one rare instance well i'm with you 100 percent. on the other hand i don't care about old old horror films personally i don't like horror as a genre myself generally and i found that what you're left with is a story is a very earnest and sweet copy of forrest gump without the idiocy well so it's, it's just of... it's just sort of like i'm the sincerest little snowflake that ever wanted to make movies and it's one note, and it carries through the whole thing. There is a big difference here between Forrest Gump and this film, though, is that Forrest Gump, for all his idiocy, fails upward. Like he or succeed. I mean, <laughs> happens to succeed upward, right? Yeah, fair enough. Ed Wood's. This, I mean, Ed Wood's they, entire 
<laughs> this is if I could sum this movie up in one thing, it's it's a man being relentlessly kicked in the balls, grinning the whole time, and and basically saying, "Man, you could have done that so much better. Here's some advice." He is so earnest and so straightforward. And even the points where he's a little down about stuff, he's only down for like a couple of seconds. Everything else is unrelenting optimism about how great this is and how wonderful things are and how wonderful the people he works with. The, the earnestness of, about the people he works with, who I – let's put it this way. At, at this point in Bela Lugosi's career – most people did consider him a washed-up hack. Whether that's true or not um, is not for me oh, to say. Yeah. I can tell you that. Okay, so Belagosi was already a washed-up hack by 1933. That's the frustrating. People didn't realize his career was already in the in the toilet pretty much for most of the 30s and 40s. So after Dracula, it was very much downhill. So, so by the time he gets with Ed, he's already in the like at the bottom of his career. Right, and he already been there for a while. And and Ed is just, especially in this film, and I, I know it's uh, dramatized for for entertainment's value. Um, yeah. is just so relentlessly optimistic, and just, I mean, he's gonna make you love these things the way. I mean, I would love to see the world through this portrayal of Ed Wood's eyes because everything has to be Hollywood glitzy in his world. Even the stuff that's bad, he he can find something nice to say about it. It's. But it's so hard for me to watch. So, um, and I'm the audience for this. I love, I love bad movies. I enjoy them. I love them for what they are. I enjoy watching them through the Mystery Science Theater 3000 style of commentary. I love watching them with friends. I love drinking booze and watching these movies and laughing over the terrible special effects. But just really appreciating the sincerity that goes into many, many of these films. Um, I mean, yeah. there is nothing better than watching a man reach for the stars and fall flat on his fucking face every fucking time and still somehow find a way to stand back up and shoot for that star once again. Yeah, it, <sighs> it, it's a tribute to the fact he never got better. In fact, he, in, in many ways, he got worse, but also just didn't seem to realize, oh, I'm a bad director, I'm gonna, but I'm going to keep trying. Now, you know, there's also the side of ed which we see constantly is he is a he is basically a, a huckster he is constantly like tricking people into paying for these films which are terrible you know it's just like he, he tells that the minister he tells the that church they're like this movie will make a lot of money and then you can make the, all your movies on, on the bible it's it's the, and he's getting all his friends to do stuff you know well like, that's the thing i don't think it's a i don't think it's a con i think he sincerely believes that this oh, is does. the one that's going to do it and he learned the self-promotion from uh the amazing criswell in, in this case portrayed by jeffrey jones who does a great job like he gets the mannerisms almost perfectly i love bill murray's character i love Mar martin lando is a joy to watch in almost anything and he is absolutely nails it to the wall it, uh, he yeah. deserved the Oscar he got for this performance. As much as yeah. I didn't care for the film, like I don't ever want to watch it again. Uh, I mean, other than maybe like a scene or two, just to say, look at this scene, look how it was shot, look how amazing this was. Yeah. Um, the people. There's details in this film that uh, the more, and I've seen this film like 10, 12 times. I catch things differently each time I watch it. So that, you know, I, I get your perspective on this. The more I watch it, the more I, I find more unique things about this film. And I, I have said before, this is a film that the more you watch it, the more you find something else in it. And something else I'd like to bring up is this, you know, it's 1994 when this movie came out. This movie has a lot of positive looks at, like, people like, you know, Bunny, which is, you know, Bill Murray's character. You know, he's very, you could call it a flaming gay character, but he's not, also. He's a very, 
openly out and proud character. And the, that's how the real person was. It's the film deals with a lot of like sexual innuendos, very on, you know, very not not in a fact for last, more like, hey, these are real people. But I mean, that, that's where you're like, you know, a, a comparable feel is like Pleasantville, the film. Yes, and, that's a good idea. And but but the deal is like that film is not like so. The shoe never drops. Like everything comes through in Ed Ed Wood's like rose or, or, or sepia toned glasses or what have you, and and yet there's like like you don't really know what actually happened here, and you you have every reason not to trust it because it's run like a sitcom, you know. I mean, what exactly actually occurred that you know Ed was too high on life to to notice? Was he meant to be drunk the whole? Like, I guess maybe I am just too cynical and jaded a thing to watch this movie straight and not just be like, "Where's the twist? Where's the thing that's going to come up? You know, uh, where's the WandaVision in this thing? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> well, like where this thing just runs it straight all the way to the very end. It does, and it, I'm glad you brought up WandaVision because that WandaVision is a good comparison in a way because. You can see where they look for some like WandaVision esque kind of th- you know like imagery. Well, I mean, where Ed Wood was the, you know definitely a visual cue for WandaVision. Well, sure, the early and early I, episodes. Abs- I mean, uh, some of that is just that's how films were made in the fifties. This is how things yeah. were shot in the fifties. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and there are some really great. This is a super quotable movie because like no one gives a fuck about Bella is one of my favorite lines ever delivered on screen. <laughs> also, his rant about Boris Karloff. Makes me limey cotton. Makes me laugh so hard every time, every single time I hear it, that I don't think I don't think it can be surpassed. It's it's so good. Um, yeah, and and if you know anything about the rivalry between the two, it was weird because it was entirely all Bella. Boris had no ill will. Yeah, Boris didn't didn't hate. He just it all stems from Bella Lugosi's jealousy over the career of Boris Karloff, which actually you know he he did a thing. Hold on one second. Um, Sorry about that. I thought my mic was going to go out there for a second. So uh, I apologize. Uh, but Karloff, you know, he had a very successful career in a lot of different films. He did some leading roles. He did. He he portrayed the monster again. He did a few other things. Uh, he's done quite a bit. Um, and poor Bella just got typecast so quickly. I mean, it's hard to be. And let's let's everyone forgets. Bella Gosi, Hungarian immigrant, didn't know English when he did Dracula. Like, did it? Oh, the reason he has that learned it phonetically. Yeah, the reason yeah, he, he sounds the way he does in that film is because he, all his lines were learned phonetically, and so he just said that he didn't actually know a lot of what he was saying because he was just saying. Yeah, English well, he had played the. Yeah, he played the part in Hungarian in Europe. You'll get a kick out of this, uh, Bruce. Bell Lugosi was actually had to, had to flee from Hungary. Because he'd been bra- he'd been so deep into the unions of actors and socialism that he was considered an enemy of the state. I like him more now. <laughs> yep. Uh. Yeah. Um, for, and for those of you listening, if you've not uh, heard, heard of it, the uh, podcast, uh, you must rem- remember this. They did a whole series called Bella and Boris, where uh, the host Karina Long, where she's the uh, wife of uh, Ryan Johnson. Uh, she details the entire life stories of both of them. Uh, where you find out like what everything went wrong with Bell Lugosi, where everything went up and down for Boris Karloff. It's a fascinating, great series. Like Patton Oswalt is the voice of Bell Lugosi in, in the podcast, and uh, it's it's something to be worth listening to. Uh, and you know, there's detail. Like 
like a lot of people, when it comes to Ed Wood, they have mixed opinions. Like in her podcast, she portrays him more of a, you know, is conning him and basically taking advantage of his desperation to get him to do these awful movies. Because the idea is he's too senile to really know what he's doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the thing. It's like uh, playing it so Boy is he Scout. Helping or hurting yeah, himself? playing it so Boy Scout squeaky safe. Uh, like, I get it. I get it. It's a love letter, but it was just so one note and relentlessly one note that, it, like, it is very it much do... a um. What do they call them when it's a very? Uh, it's always a positive look. Hey, hey geography. geography. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And then the other part of it is, and every character. While they're all clever set dressing, like they're all well played, like uh, nothing happens in this except movies get made and there's not even any tension. Like uh, there's no dramatic arc in the whole film. Like I don't know, apart from being a beautiful, like this is almost a a wall hanging. Like this is a beautiful wall hanging of a film that you're meant to look at and enjoy just sort of rolling over you. Um, and, and maybe it's, it's, it's a blade runner that way where you're not meant to, you're meant to hand wave all the other things because it's just there to evoke. And I, yeah. and I get it, but it just, I, I, I found it very thin. It, it just, it was very thin to me, I, but I will say this. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily well done. Like, you know, my standard of, did they get what they were going for here? Uh, yes, yes, they did. They killed it. They nailed it out of the park. It is the most Ed Woody of of possible Ed Wood movies. I I can't imagine saying to them you could improve this by X, Y, or Z, knowing what they were shooting for. Uh, I just don't know what I'm meant to do with it. Yeah, it's a very tight script. If you've ever read the screenplays, the uh, writers they also went on to the same team. They did uh, People versus Larry Flint and Man on the Moon. So they have a history of Reich making these biopics about unusual people and you know they and admittedly but, they but were, like uh, in the people versus larry flint though there's antagonists like there's actual conflict and there's also there. a narrative this thing felt line. very yeah this thing felt very bereft of it's conflict. a character piece yeah i mean well i mean conflict is simply basically ed's delusions in some cases and then you know, like when he and Do- uh, you know sarah jessica parker's character dolores breaks up you know she's kind of trying to break this uh, this basically haze they all have. They think they're making good movies. Uh, and she's like, you all are crazy. You're all fools. And, you know, they, you know, it kind of hurt. You see, they're all, all feelings are hurt, but they kind of move on. It's it, well, but not in the, again, I was wondering like how many of them are just there for the after party? Like, exactly an actual film i'd love to see about this would be an exploration of that beat nickety counterculturally like that little slice of cheap hollywood and all of the people who found in it refuge from the rest of the 50s uh is a fat that's fascinating like the party sequence i'm like yeah yeah so like every gay person uh you know in hollywood could be there and be that way um you have you know socialists and drug users and all the things that the 50s you know beatnik culture would have had and i'm like and they're making money they're they are making money they're pulling money in somehow and that's it like they get to live their little party happy life and dance and be uh transvestites and have a great time um 
and I, I think it is just transvestitism, not transsexual. I don't know the differences. I'm not by any means well educated, but I thought the the goal of this was it's just cross dressing, as it would have been said at the time. Uh, for certain characters, yes, I believe the character of Bunny says yeah, they're going to go to Mexico and right, get right. hormone treatment. But for for Edward specifically, as portrayed in this film, I believe it is just transvestism. Yeah, he he was always identified as a transvestite. He wasn't, you know, bisexual but, or gay or anything like there's that. There's a through line from uh, this yeah. to like what Rocky Horror Picture Show was getting at. Like there that, was a, a like a, a Hollywood too. of that like outcasts. And I would have loved a film like my film of this would be a film that really delved into the backstory of all of these other characters, not just present Bunny as a theta complete, but like get in there and how did bunny end up being bunny and how did it, how did they end up you know doing this grift yeah and it's interesting enough uh bill murray spent time with the real bunny because he was uh, bunny was still very much alive in the in like 1993 when they were about to start making this film and they had a very apparently cordial relationship which you know as stories you know bill murray tends to be you know temperamental about some of his roles but <clears throat> this was one of the parts that he felt like he really became a different character actor because he was tired of playing leading roles he wanted to be this weird character actor and doing this film kind of helped get him on that path that he was going for which is how he is now he tends to play more unusual or like you know you know secondary roles instead of being the lead and i another thing i thought was interesting you know this film real if you've and i sent the link to uh, uh bruce before to watch yeah, there's a documentary that came out in like 82 called it came from hollywood which predates this where Bill Murray actually and uh, Dan Aykroyd discussed Ed Wood because he had in the late seventies after he had died there was this weird revival of his of his work in a very ironic just like Rocky Horror was <clears throat> in that people would go watch it just to make fun of it I mean there's the famous Seinfeld episode which came out the year before this where they were waiting uh, at, at a restaurant to go before, after they ate they were going to go see uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. You know, the film, the Plan 9 was declared the worst movie of all time in the late 70s by Michael Medved, the uh, conservative writer who was also a film yep. critic. And it kind of developed this crazy cult of being the worst movie. You got to see how bad it is. Now, Will and I have actually once in our sci-fi club in college watched Oh, yes. It. <laughs> and uh, it's bad. Like, but it's so, like, it's bad in an amazingly, it, it's. Yeah. Have you ever, so have you ever seen a really beautiful piece of nature, right? Like, a, like you know, you're in a giant redwood forest and you see all the trees and they look beautiful. Or you're on top of a mountain, you're looking down at the view, or you're seeing a glacier and it's, you know, ice blue things. And it's just magnificent. And you know that it just happened to be random chance that actually, you know, made the whole thing. And yet here it is, beautiful and majestic and all that. This Plan 9 from Outer Space is like that for garbage films. It is amazing that this film even got made. It is amazing that that it, it looks the way it does. That it's that it's. I mean, it's barely coherent, but it has some of the best worst writing you'll ever hear. Like you stupid humans and you stupid stupid stupid. It's the word stupid is used like twenty times in a row in a single rant, and it's amazing. And I recommend everybody watch this because people. Is it the worst movie of all time? I honestly, I don't think it is anymore. I. No, I mean, that been. I mean, like you know, the room and troll too. You know, several have like. The thing is, even even plan, Manos, uh, you know, movies live and die by their entertainment. I mean, it is a yeah. horribly made film. It is bad acting. It has bad special effects. Everything about it is kind of lots of stock so, footage, much stock so much stock footage. It's it's not a good movie, but 
the fact that it was made in what like five days i mean it was <laughs> it was shot over yeah. five days with one maybe two takes and like one of the one of the actresses of Vampira, like one of the requirements to be in the film was she couldn't have any lines because she didn't want to memorize them and he's like yeah we'll go yeah, with it it's she fine really didn't want to be like, it's like yeah we'll go with it it's fine poor <laughs> <laughs> johnson who can be- who has a terrible voice was i'll give it up for tor johnson i think he's he's he did a lot yeah, in well, a time well, uh, when I mean he, he did a lot with the, with the little he had, um, yeah. And uh, George the Animal Steel, by the way, portrays him in the Edward movie, and I think he does a great job. Uh, oh, exactly. George had retired from like basically wrestling when he got this film, and in, in the process, because the movie kind of had a cult following, uh, they brought him back to WWF in like the '97 and '98 for a run. So <laughs> yeah, I mean. And you know, I, I, do you guys know the story of what George the Animal Steel's career was before he became uh, a wrestler? I do not. He was a high school math teacher by day, and at night he would go do you know uh, wrestling shows. And on the uh, and on the weekends he would be George the Animal Steel, pro wrestler. And by you know Monday morning he'd be teaching math in Detroit. That's fascinating. There's a that, yeah. We should that. do the George the Animal Steel the story, the man, the myth, the math teacher. I mean. God. The hairy man. <laughs> the it's fine. Um, but this is this this movie might as well be rose-colored glasses. The movie. Yeah, I'm just gonna say like it's more fun to talk about this movie than it is to watch. Oh, it. absolutely. Like, so it, it, it's oh, and that's well. Fair. One of the things. So here's the thing. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely detest in films is cringe. Right. Um, super cringy scenes that just go on and on and on. Like so, so you guys have seen Napoleon Dynamite? Oh I yeah, not. hate it. I, I knew. Better. Okay, so I sat through the entirety of Napoleon Dynamite. The second half of that film is some of the most brilliant comedic um, writing I have ever seen in a movie. The first half of that film is chewing broken glass. That 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 <laughs> yes. is that is the the. the and I only stuck it out because. Like a friend of mine had gotten it and she's like, this is, I've been so excited to see this. And it was a bunch, it was several of us together. So it wasn't just like, you know, uh, a couple people. So we were trying to watch this and I, and I, I wanted to leave because it was bad and I hated it. And I was like, I I, I can just get through this movie. It'll be fine. I've made them watch terrible films. I can sit through this one. And the second half of the film opens up into this miraculously hilarious comedy. And but the first half is so much cho- and so much chewed glass, gravel, and pain yeah. that I I never want to see that movie again. Despite my, I mean, praise for the second half. Yeah, I, I will argue the best scene in Napoleon Dynamite is the final scene, which was added to uh, you know for extra attention. You know, the wedding scene. That's the best scene in the movie. So. I've said before, Napoleon Dime is one of the most overrated. I, I agree, it is overrated. But I, I, that second half is so good. But the first half is not worth is not worth getting through to get to the second half. No, no, I, you're absolutely right. Anyway, I feel like uh, I feel no, like okay. this movie has a lot of that cringy, like like the scene where he reveals himself to Dolores by having her read his script. Like I saw, a I saw that coming a mile away because it's completely telegraphed and the way it's. I mean, but it's meant to be. Like it's shot in the style of the 50s to be that way right. and it's super cringy to watch it's just really like, like sarah jessica parker is basically spitting her lines 
And I couldn't tell if that was a deliberate affectation or if that was just poor uh, direction or what. And I, and I was like, well, it can't be poor direction. I know Tim Burton's got chops. Um, yeah, Mark Lando gets an Oscar. Right, so, uh, well, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you can still be a bad director and get a get an Oscar and get an Oscar on your film. Um, uh, but, you know, I've seen his other work and I've enjoyed it. So I was like, well, it's probably not that. I was like, well, I, I think it's an affectation, but it's really, really grating. And it's like scraping my skin with a cheese grater. I just, I, uh, and every scene is like that. I mean, the scene where he rants about Karloff, I was actually afraid of, cause I was like, oh, this is going to go really bad. Oh, this, they went in this direction. That's amazing. I love this part. But everything leading up to it is kind of uh, – you're kind of on – I was on pins and needles the whole movie trying not to cringe, and half the time I would be rewarded for my perseverance by a scene that was actually funny or good or entertaining. And then the other half would just be, you know what, I'm just going to go cringe in the corner for 20 minutes while this plays out because I know where it's going. I know exactly how it's going to end. Yep, it absolutely did the thing I expected it to. God, that was painful. Yeah. Why did I sit through that? Well, that's the other thing is like I knew – I mean I knew the uh, – I knew of Plan 9. Like I knew – I know the broadest brush strokes, uh, strokes of what Ed Wood was. Um, and yet I found the entire film, you know, so telegraphed. And again, maybe it's just the fact that the 50s language, while faithfully reproduced, is bad. The 50s cinematography and the language of film used in the 50s was bad. So that when you do it really, really faithfully, you make a bad movie. Like, I don't I, I don't know how else to explain it. Everything in it no. is just yawn, yawn, yawn. My God, can we get through this scene? It's all long and the jokes don't land with any punch because you see them five miles before they get here. And, you know, there's just the timing is terrible and the dialogue is stilted. And and I get it's all on purpose, but my God, it's tedious. But, you know, if you study, if you've seen bad movies from that time period, that's what they're kind of aping because... In the, you know, if you watch Mad Men, you know they don't talk like that at all. But yeah. that's how they. It's 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 how they acted in films. Which back which then. I will say in I, the low budget. I've got a thing the, like when did it stop being the hey there, Dame? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. When did it stop being that and go to this? Like what happened uh, the, there? The, the, the Hayes Code. Hayes Code, I believe. Is the yeah the Hayes when the Hayes Code was very uh, controlling how dialogue was written. But when you got like Tennessee Williams and you got like the actor studio, which by the way, Mark Mando was one of the early members of the actor studio, which is kind of neat that he's in this. When they started bringing like realism, like Streetcar Named Desire and On the Waterfront, and also to an extent Orson Welles, uh, when they brought these sort of like these heavier concepts, the the tri these this peppy writing slowly started dying, and of course Hitchcock as well. Like you see movies before like Alfred Hitchcock and before say Marlon Brando hit the scene, then you, you get this this peppiness, which is what Ed grew up watching. That's the other thing. You can, you can find more about how Ed acts based on what films he he's obsessed with. You know, He's obsessed with Citizen, with, uh, Citizen Kane and Orson Welles, but he has no concept of how that works. And that's the beauty part of it. It's the, you know, I like to compare it to Amadeus in that you've got um, Salieri who also – has some talent, but nowhere near as talented as, say, other people. In fact, is kind of a hack in many ways. And then you got Ed, which is the same way. He's this hack 
he has desire to make movies, but he really can't actually make a good movie. He can't write a good movie, but he has this desire. And it's, it's this weird take also on the, you know, the artist that really wants to try, but really fails, you know, but does not get the clue. Stop. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to be said for the style. I mean, so uh, we've all been there when like several movies come out, in the same uh, where they're, they're all kind of like, you'll see a very popular movie comes out and then there'll be a flood of imitators trying to recapture that. And even sometimes the sequel movie, which tries to recapture the magic and can't because they, they don't quite know. They know it was successful. But they don't quite know why something really landed. So they're trying to ape what they think that was, and yeah. they don't get it. So you end up with these weird, almost self parodies of themselves and, and and that's you mean like jaws yeah 3? like jaws 3 is absolutely um something like that right um where they well the jaws 3 was trying to do the 3d thing and it was trying to cash in on it was a it was a cash grab and it was a bad cash grab yeah i mean it started out as a comedy and then turned into a serious movie. right because they Fails. didn't understand what they were making like i think jaws 3 the comedy version which i you've done an episode of uh, the greatest movie ever made on it yeah yeah it was the original yeah the original plan was it was gonna be called jaws 3 people zero i mean it was a straight madcap like, comedy uh, right national Lampoon yeah. parody yeah it was a, a flat-out parody and they decided to go the other way which is let's make it a serious uh, film I'm like that's not park. no you got to know your material and you got to know when that when you got to you got to strike when the iron is hot and you got to know when to stop striking and yeah. move on and like the the time when jaws 3 came out would have been the perfect time for a parody film like absolutely perfect and especially if it's by the people who made it before that means it's even better like some of the best parody yes. movies are made by the same people who made the original films they know what made the original film work and they know how to make that funny because a lot of it is that would now be considered tired and worn out but when you put a comedic spin on it which is actually way harder to do i mean airplane right airplane is one of the greatest spoofs of all time but it is spoofing the disaster movie trend like 100 percent the disaster movie trend yeah, there have been five airport right. movies and Airplane came The out. people who made Airplane made Airport, and they're like, all right, here we go. We're going to make this funny because we kind of wore this out, so let's end on a bang. And then they made Airplane 2 somehow. Um, <laughs> you never know when yeah. to quit. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Hollywood. Uh, anyway, Ed Wood, you know what else is sad in this? Is This made me feel so bad about Bella Lugosi. Martin Lando really sells that performance because that whole the, – the, yes, the, the, the B story of Bella Lugosi's like, – twilight years is one of the saddest most depressing things like the whole bit where he he's trying to convince uh ed wood to commit suicide with him i was just like and this is supposed this was this was um, um promoted as a comedy film <laughs> no no stop please and and but it's so And then Ed is so relentlessly he's optimistic. So he's like, no, out. we can't do that. We got more stuff. And it's just like, oh, my God. And it's so – oh, it's so – it's like, ah. Uh. Bruce, you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just – God, we're in agreement. I, what, has I the sky see what they open? were trying to do here. I get it. They achieved it. I don't know what you're meant to do with this thing. Like, it's just – is is the read you're supposed to have of this that the, the optimism saved Bella Lugosi's soul? I mean, is that what you're supposed to get? No, here? I mean, or is it just 
I mean, did a sad old man was talked to by an imbecile? Like, (laughs) what is what? What happened? Sad old man spoken to by idiot. (laughs) Redeem. Yeah, I mean, the only the only thing is he got to keep working in. I mean, awful films. He never even got to see because, as they point out, these movies never played in his in L.A. They always played in like. You know, like, as I said, I just pre-sold Alabama and Utah. So he'd have to go to Utah if he wanted to see the film because it never played anywhere where he would see it. Or they did that awful premiere where they got attacked. Which, okay, that scene, though, was really funny. (laughs) Like, that bit is – that that is one of the best (laughs) bits in the movie because that scene is really funny. And really – like, that's the kind of stuff that I hoped the whole film would be. Like – that it was just him bouncing from one zany kind of whack madcap adventure to the next without all the sad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, but even then, like that scene, like they just don't do enough zany. Like the, 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 the octopus st- sequence, stealing an octopus. <laughs> like yeah. they, they make a, a midnight heist to steal a prop octopus, which like, that's gold. Actually That's gold, happened. right? That's gold. I know it probably actually happened because this is a very faithful film, uh, or at least in some way. But like they they play it so mute. Like at the end of the day, it's it's like oh, that's all that was. Well, um, uh, you know something else that should be brought up is why part of, the re- part of the reason Tim Burton picked this over, say Cabin Boy, which he almost made as well. And we talked about that in the other podcast I posted uh, recently is that he saw his relationship with Vincent Price in this film. Because him and Vincent Price had that similar relationship in the uh, 80s. So you, he kind of, this was his tribute to Vincent Price, by not, but not making a Vincent Price movie. Because Bela Lugosi and Vincent Price are kind of in that same sort of like, they were both in that case where they were doing a lot of like bad horror films in their careers. Sure, but Vincent Price made it work, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know. That's the thing, but that's how that's how bad Bella goes. I I, I I have a soft spot for Bella Lugosi. He, he, I really do. I I think as an actor, he was he was undersold in the U.S. and he couldn't go home for the reasons you've already stated. And he just kind of had to do what he did and keep the lights on, <laughs> you know. And you feel for the man because, I mean. You go watch the original Dracula. People like, oh, poo-poo it these days, but it's really good. It's really good. And, I'm, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm a bit of a fanboy. I kind of love the old monster movies, uh, so I, I have a, a bias there, so everyone needs to take that into account. Yeah. But <sighs> As am I. I'm big early 30s for 20, you know, silent movies up until basically like the early 30s when the sound kind of started killing some of the classic, like, you know, Lon Chaney. These are all guys that, like, their stories are fascinating. And, you know, this film does a really interesting job. I mean, the fact of the matter is part of his hatred of Boris Karloff is that he was originally offered Frankenstein. They tried him in the makeup. They looked bad. They got Boris Karloff, not because he was a great actor, because the makeup yep. fit him better. And I, I... So his whole career was killed because of a makeup yep. effect. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I feel all this, and I, I but I, I, I would have preferred the documentary version. I, like, I would have liked the, the Coen the Brothers day, documentary, like where they do a, the, like a yeah. an on-set biopic of Ed Wood, but shot from someone else's perspective of him going uh, uh, right. on, at all his movies. Yes, you need like somebody staring at the madness, at the madness, you know, mouth agape. Like everyone else sort of shrugging and moving on is part of the joke, but you need, you know, the, the doctor's companion in this thing somehow. I, I agree 100%. No. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Ed is the companion to Bella in a way. And that, you know, it's, I mean, but it's, that's what I also love about this film. It's, it's kind of like, say, some John Carpenter films where it's, you're all constantly getting the uh, concept twisted on. Yeah. You. It's such no, a unusual film. I know what I would have done with this is I would have invented a character, like a down on his heels uh, contributor to variety or something, and had this person assigned to find out what's going on with all these films or something like that. And just, or, or, chasing Bell, the Bella Lugosi rumors or something like that, trying to drum up his career. So I would have, I would have put a has-been in the press in the middle of this, uh, Bonfire the Va- but, Vanity style, and, and then seen it through that lens where you're able to compare and contrast with like how other films are done. Because that's another bit like, you know, looking at this, like compared to the other schlock monster movies, how bad is this? You know, I I don't know. Um, well, I mean, basically, you're describing the plot of Citizen Kane, though. See, that's the thing about this film is they're they're taking cues from that film as well, right down to him. Meeting well, they didn't well. take the, they didn't take yeah. the, if you carefully... enough from Citizen Kane in this case. No, but they take like if you, there. I know some of the comparison shots. There's some visual shots that Tim Burton borrowed from Citizen Kane for this film. But not in a, oh, I'm doing a direct uh, shot for shot, but like there's certain shadows and camera angles that you know, were invented in Citizen Kane that he's using for this film. But I also give the credit, he, you know, he's trying to show all these things. This is the scene with Orson Welles. You know, Orson Welles was also in, down on his dumps by this point. Like, makes really one masterpiece, and then his whole career is him trying to catch that. You know, yeah. try to make the next match. No, no, like I the absolutely see them. the parallel here of like the irony is that at the time, you know, the master, but like he never ever achieved that again, you know. So yeah. Yeah, he I mean he's and, and the thing about Orson Welles, he started making some terrible movies. If you've seen some of his later films, they're awful. Just like his commercials were awful. <laughs> You know, if you ever, folks, if you've ever listened to the famous uh, champagne, I mean, didn't he do one for frozen did. peas, or is that is <laughs> that just a pe- bit from the critic? That's the Family Guy bit. No, that it is not a Family Guy bit. It is a critic bit. Bruce, get it correct. If you don't, if you don't remember the show, the critic. No, no, it's uh, no. Pinky in the brain. Uh, Mrs. Brain. Things frozen peas is absolutely a fucking bit from the critic. Fair enough. It's full of it's full of uh, yeah. frozen green penis. Green yeah, penis. in fact, it's, yeah, oh, yeah. They do it on Pinky the Brain also, and the voice of of uh, of the brain is in, is the same dude doing the voice of uh, uh, yeah. Orson Welles in this film because yeah, yeah, it was just like he does the perfect Orson. Yeah, Welles I mean, uh, and, and again, Mario I think they should have focused it, it, this this film. If this film had been what it was marketed as. Because it's marketed as a madcap comedy biopic of Ed Wood, the man who made the worst films ever, right? If they, yep. Although they even don't, they even stress that in the. If you seen the the trailers, you don't even get that. You get Johnny Depp is this crazy weird director. He's so happy, and you know we have. I mean, his performance is is actually really fun. It's fun to watch, except when it's not. Yeah, I would say this is this is the real beginning of him as a kind of zane is unusual actor because you know prior even though you know edward scissorhands he's not really doing a lot in that film more like emoting like he said he acted like he was a dog in that film this one he has said his two inspirations for ed were ronald reagan and casey Kasem. <laughs> so he took casey Kasem's what that way of talking and ronald reagan's kind of like 
just cheery attitude. Uh, See, I would have loved it if, like, if it had been sort of like uh, an all in the family gag of like whenever Ed enters frame and goes into a tirade of optimism, if you just heard a (laughs) off camera to understand what happened there, you know, that would have been a nice little bit. There are a lot of ways you could have made this film, but yeah, I mean, just the, the soul, like, I have to admit that the character of Ed Wood in this film is a brighter soul than I, because mine would have been crushed into crushed into powder and ground farther into the dust than by half the events that happened in this poor man's life in this film. Well, then just and, Jesus. And that is why well, I signed into our podcast today with life is like a box of morphine, it, because this is a companion piece to Forrest Gump. It, it is. Yeah. The, it, and they only came out about three months apart. You know, this came out like I think or late September, the, and you know, the came the, out in the July. specific so, differences are um, the cinematography, while excellent in both, is very distinctively different. And in this film, the religious conservatives are not going to be pleased. <laughs> and you know, I love the fact that you know we have one of the best scenes in the movie. I've said is the baptism scene because it's just. So bizarre, but it actually happened. They're like, "Why are we in this pool?" Well, uh, Tor Johnson can't fit in, in their ba- baptism tub. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Bill Murray says to you know, Johnny Depp, "You like, how did you get us to do this? What get baptized for a horror film? Because it's a science." Yeah, I mean, it's really right. No, that is that was actually a line that made <laughs> no, me no. Laugh. There that are one of the few that I didn't see coming. There and are it got parts me. of this that are hilarious. Like yeah. there are parts of this movie that made me laugh really hard. But to get to them, I had to slog through so much. And they, if they had really focused on those scenes and just sort of stitched the movie together about his madcap crazy adventures while making these films and being run out of the theater, which should have been the climax of the film, and that's where they should have ended it. And it just would, or like maybe with the marriage afterwards, um, you know, skip a bunch of stuff and, and go to Vegas and yeah, just be like, oh, Vegas, no, we've run out of the let's go to Vegas. Uh, uh, just the madcap comedy was where this film shone, and everything in between is just relentlessly it's like the universe says oh you're a happy person let's try to murder that in your soul and it and it's like god it's so (laughs) hurtful and makes me sad inside and i don't watch movies to be sad tom Uh. i watch movies to be sad i like leaving las vegas but um i like a movie that's oh man thematically clear well like uh, i mean this movie is not the world is pain this movie is here is a puppy i'm gonna kick it yeah well actually it's like and our puppy's name is ed wood and he's gonna get kicked repeatedly by all kinds of people and the other the other malformed puppies around him are gonna try to cuddle him into happiness and they will fail and then the older puppy gets on morphine and dies anyway it's fine god i went too far with the metaphor guys (laughs) I i did (laughs) <laughs> it's okay see this is what i love about talking about this movie though because it is one of those films there's so many unusual takes on this film once again i think we all agree martin lando you know nailed his performance bella Lugosi. he in many ways i think he kind of redefined what bella Lugosi was for a whole generation and i you know we got to give the man credit i mean he said his career is such a fascinating one too you know he'd spent decades kind of in you know B or C movie roles, or you know, like you know, he was on the first season of Mission Impossible and got completely cut, replaced by Leonard Nimoy. You know he's just one of those guys who bounced around Hollywood for decades, despite the fact he was this extremely talented actor and spent more time teaching guys like Jack Nicholson how to act than you know having that big break. And 
until he, basically in the late eighties. And with this film, his career was completely revived. And I, you know, I praise this performance. I love Johnny Depp in this film. I think this is, I would say it's his second best performance of all time, but I think it's also the birth of him as a serious actor because he's trying, even though it's just a crazy part, you have to have real chops to pull this off because Ed is not someone you should like, but you really do kind of want him to succeed because he really pulls this earnest out of Yeah, it. I mean, he, he, he beats the and, pants uh, off of Tom Hanks in this. Like, if they're both going for, oh. dun, you know, optimistic, dunderheaded, magical imbecile, uh, I will take Johnny Depp's optimistic, dunderheaded, magical imbecile ten times uh, and before I even, you know, cross the street to piss Tom Hanks out if he's on I just, fire. I, I just wonder how you call him an imbecile. <laughs> uh, or rather, a magical imbecile, because whereas <laughs> Forrest Gump succeeded against odds... Ed Wood fails no, no. with the odds. No, but, but the, no, no. Straight up, the magic of this film is that he gets the bloody movies. That's made, fair. That he finds the money. That's the uh, magic. The magic yeah. is that this somehow was economically viable, and the movies exist. And the fact is, we're watching a movie about this motherfucker today. Yeah, and the fact, and it's interesting. These movies were also not destroyed. You can watch them; they are available to get. You know, he, he wins. Yeah. He unequivocally wins on his terms. Ed Wood won because he is remembered no, as a filmmaker, he... and that and he Correct. made movies and they got done, and people know who he is. And they're even noteworthy movies that people will discuss. Yeah, I get, you know what? I hate to... that his that his peers look. I, I hate to say this, guys. You guys are right. You guys completely mean... turned my thinking around on this. And you're right. He did succeed, sort of. Task failed successfully. He, he, won. he won. He won the flipping lottery. I mean, it, it, there is nothing about this but that he succeeded beyond any reason. Like the truth of Ed Wood, like beyond not this, not this version even, is that somehow Ed Wood, being utterly without the appropriate amount of talent to make movies, managed to secure a career in making movies in which he didn't have to, like, go become a dentist or something. And he managed to pay his bills. He managed to support his alcoholism and his descent into, uh, you know, uh, softcore porn, apparently, late in his career. Yeah, uh, he made a lot of, like, style films, the, um, yeah. Stag films. Right. Yeah, it, it was it was mostly stag films that were illegally shot that were. You know, but the fact of the matter the is, is that city, so. there probably isn't a serious genre director in Hollywood who hasn't paid attention to these films and doesn't know about them and know what they're doing. And, and like uh, yeah. then you have a talent like this uh, assembling a biopic about you like this dude won in a ridiculously improbable way. And I think that. Like, that's the spit take that's missing from this whole film, ironically, is the fact that this should not, like, there's nobody just pulling their hair out, hair out going, really? Really? We, we got money? I really would have liked to see the Coen brothers, Ed Wood, with all the same cast yeah. and all the same direction and everything, just with another person doing the thing Bruce is talking about, staying going, what the hell have you done? You know, the whole time. Ah, just... 
Well, yeah, that would have also been well. I mean, uh, now because some of the best lines that Depp delivers as Ed Wood are when he's def- you know when he recontextualizes the failure, and you you're wondering he, he he believes that you're you're sitting there going he believes that, and and the the arc of the film is that this this critic or this newspaper person that I'm uh, hypothesizing here uh, is turned around and becomes a fan basically. Like eventually the the, the, yeah. the the con artist, like this guy walks up, sees a con artist, calls him out as a con artist, explains to everyone this is a con artist, and yet gets conned. That's the film. We are all conned. Now, I will say, uh, back to uh, Will's talk about the Coen brothers, <clears throat> Barton Fink is their take on this. Because if you've seen Barton Fink, that is very much about the same kind. Con- it's not Ed Wood's story, but it's the same thing about the schlock low budget Hollywood you know scandal scene and that's and also at the same time they made Hell Seas a couple years ago similar about the 50s of Hollywood so they've actually covered this twice as well so it's a you know the, but this is Tim Burton's take and I once again we got to factor in you know this is the Tim I call this the best Tim Burton movie everyone has different takes what it's his favorite film uh, or your favorite film by him uh, Bruce what's your um, favorite Tim Burton? I don't really have one I, I find Tim Burton kitschy uh, so maybe this is my favorite of his. I, I, I find his stuff is just a little too twee. Sleepy Hollow. And that's fine. Uh, Will, what about you? Everyone, everyone, that, you know, that, that, that was their third collaboration. I, I really liked it. Uh, and Christina Ricci can uh, fill out a corset. So, you know. What a great film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, for me, it goes like uh, Ed Wood, Beetlejuice, uh, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, he and by the way, she pointed out he was on one of the biggest hot streaks when he made this film. Like, he literally had done Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, and then he. This is his after he's had all these huge hits, all these, all this big, big acclaim in Hollywood. He makes this film total flop and then he falls out i like mars attacks and his career kind of in in many ways goofy but yeah and mars attacks is in that i mean if you watch this and mars attacks Attacks yeah i don't like that one either because again that one is too like like you see everything coming in a month like there's no surprises in any of those things like that's where i will i will give him that like edward scissorhands i had no idea where the fuck that was gonna go it was just going to go somewhere weird is all I knew. And it ended up going, you know, like, you know, all, uh, it went very it. weird. But, I, I liked it, but at the same time I was like, man, this movie is odd. <laughs> like the, 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 but you know, so yeah. that one I will give, uh, the Batman bits were okay. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, Beetlejuice has become Beetlejuice. I liked it at the time, but I liked it because I was young and sang the songs and was in that bit of the moment. And there were like theater girls that I liked who were into it. And it's not worth watching now. I think it's worth watching at least a couple times. If nothing else, some of the effects are really good. Uh, They're practical and and the makeup is good. And the story isn't terrible. Um, but you have to look at it from the perspective of when it was made and when it came out, and yeah, it's it's it's, it's not it has aged not well. aged well at all. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a ha- it's a Halloween classic. This is also I would call a Halloween classic. A lot of uh, Tim Burton films are you only see them or you only really watch them at Halloween because they have that kind of weird vibe to it. Just like Batman Returns is technically most people argue is a Christmas movie. So is Edward Scissor. He likes to do these weird films based around odd holidays. And 
this film, I've said, you know, if you put this with you know, some of, you know, as for a Halloween, you know, marathon, it's perfect. It's a perfect one to watch because it's one of those weird ho- films about, I mean, it's about the guy who played Dracula. It's about a guy who made a bunch of crappy. Yeah. I, mean, you, you tell me I ain't watching no Pelagosi sad, sad sack I, I, film on Halloween. I, I, I'm never picking, I'm never picking this back up. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to watch this film again. I will happily discuss it with people, but I'm probably never going to watch this again. Uh, at least not as a full run. I might watch individual scenes because it's a sci-fi thriller. Now, uh, I will say if I, if I knew more, God. If Carla, I knew fuck more you. about film of this era or or the particulars, I think I could find more to, to enjoy here because there's just I see just enough to to understand there's some depth in how it was shot and interesting stuff to discuss here and little homages here and there. But I can't that language is not you know I, it's like I speak uh, Spanish and I'm listening to an Italian speaker I don't quite catch all of it so it doesn't really land I think somebody well versed so so you know to get to our summary piece on this it's good in the sense that it does what it was going to do and it does it perfectly well to the best of my ability to detect but is it good in the sense that I enjoyed it personally no I I, I recognize the quality though. I will say this fits into good and nerdy because it's it's good and the topic is a nerdy topic, but it ain't my fan fandom and it ain't my expertise. No. So it kind of bounces off of me. Essentially, if you know you're gonna love it, go get it. Uh, you know, eat the candy if you like. The, if you like the black licorice, eat the black licorice. But other than that, everyone else steer clear. I think that this is not an experience that's open for everybody to find. I, I don't know, but thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I would put uh, this well, in the nerdy category. Um, it, it is, an, it is at best an acquired taste. Um, it is a well done, well shot, wonderful, loving tribute, well acted, loving tribute well acted. to the idea that, even, you know, follow your dreams even if it's not a good idea, as Hermes would say. Um, and honestly, you just got to see some of these scenes to be to believe them. The characters are individually wacky. Honestly, I think Dolores is the most boring character in the film. Um, and I and and if you've seen the movies that she acts in, she is a that's. I, I kind of thought was thinking about this. You were talking like, what's her take on this? They're portraying how bad of an actress she was in the in Glenn or Glenda. I mean, if you've seen Glenn or Glenda, she is not a good actress. Then I think that's part of Sarah Jessica Parker's take is she also doesn't belong. Yeah. Anyway, she uh, but it out quickly. I I think if you're a film buff, if you know the, if you can if you can read if you can speak the language fluently, this is you're going to get a lot more out of this film than than I am. Yeah. Um, and I I speak that language to some degree, but I don't speak it quite as proficiently as you do or as, as many others do i don't put this in the good category because i don't think this is an yeah. this is this film flopped i mean it did it did not hit with popular audiences and i think it's a very it, this is an art house film that somehow got made and promoted as a madcap comedy You're and it doesn't right. it it, is... it, it's definitely but it's nerdy as hell and it's yeah. worth it for that i there that's my take Yeah, I'm, I'm declaring this a nerdy film. For me, as I've said, you know, this is my favorite Tim Burton film. I, you know, I love this film, but like I said, I'm a big film nerd buff. So, of course, 
I'm going to love every bit of this. I love the black and white cinematography. I love the bizarreness of the way they talk. I love how just the bizarre cast. I mean, we got Jeffrey Jones. We've got George the Animal Steel. We've got uh, Patricia Arquette. It's such an unusual cast. And of course, we have one I would call the beginnings of really the Johnny Depp manic performance, which, you know, he later spins into, say, movies like Fear and Love in Las Vegas and later Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, these characters that he builds it kind of starts with Ed. So if you're a fan of Johnny Depp's career and, you know, we've avoided talking about Johnny Depp's other issues, so we're not going to get into them. Uh, this is the film to start with. I would start with if you're a Tim Burton fan, you, you know, your takes on this vary. I, when it comes to Tim Burton, people have just different takes. I think this is his best work followed and if you are looking for something just unusual, yeah. try watching it. it I don't regret watching it, but I wouldn't do it again. Film. And that and that's a good take. I mean, and here's the thing. You may get in your mind later, I want to rewatch this. Because, like I said, if you watch Plan 9, if you watch Bride of the Atom, if you watch Glenda yeah, Glenda, th- those are very low you're going to be like, I, I will I think I, I, think will I recommend have, Plan 9. I have a dentist <laughs> I know, I know. appointment I should go to. No, Bruce, first. get yourself um, a fifth of whiskey and go watch some Plan 9 from Outer Space with some people, especially people who have no idea what it is, and you will laugh yourself silly. And that is one of the best experiences I ever had in, at my Fair sci-fi enough. club was forcing young people to watch a movie yeah, older yeah. than they were, and in some cases older than their parents. And Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were all rolling into. Yeah, Will and I watched it together with our club. We could not stop laughing, and it was not funny. It was just how awful we could just see how awful that film is. So please oh. check it out. Uh, you know, check out this film. Check out you know, if you feel the urge. Plan Nine. And, and, and to mention watch, awful for a moment, if I may, in the name of intellectual honesty, uh, I, I got a number of points of feedback from people uh, regarding my uh, reaction and take on Gump and Tom Hanks in general. Um, I have to do a mild retraction. Uh, one, I'd forgotten a few Tom Hanks films that do not fall into, uh, you know, Nazi. Uh, so there are actually Tom Hanks films that are not Nazi, like Philadelphia. Uh, there's not a Tom Hanks film, you know, after Bachelor Party that isn't schmaltzy as all hell. Uh, but uh, that's not the same thing, although they, they're two great tastes that taste great together. I still don't like a damn thing that Tom Hanks does, but I was unfair uh, to call it all uh, propaganda. It's, you know, maybe 70%. <laughs> and uh, folks, uh, th- and, you know, folks, thanks for listening to our podcast. This is the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Pack podcast. We're talking once again about movies of 1994. We've been talking about Ed Wood from director Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, starring the Oscar-winning performance of Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi. And we, we didn't even bring up one bet, barely, you know, uh, you know, Rick Baker did the makeup for him, and it was like his crowning achievement to make Martin Landau look exactly like old Bela Lugosi. And uh, it's something we don't see often is these kind of complex makeup jobs that yeah, makes that... the part so perfect uh if, yeah. disagreeing if you uh, enjoy this film please go to our, our facebook group tell us more what your take on this is it's fans of the good bad nerdy movie podcast we're also on twitter i'm trying to get our website working soon so we'll have a website you can probably post there as well guys thanks for listening guys thanks for watching this film i know <laughs> You had different takes on this. I had. I was shocked you guys hadn't seen it till this point. So I'm glad you guys finally I'm, got the opportunity. I'm, I'm glad I was Thanks, able man. to come on this podcast and talk about things with you guys. <laughs> that, 
I'm just happy to I'm be here. I'm just happy to be a contender. Uh... <laughs> Folks, please enjoy enjoy your uh, your days and pull the strings. Pull the, that was the pull best the line. Strings. Pull the strings. Loved it. So good. <laughs> pull the strings. And and uh, please, if anyone brings up a Borscht, just remember he is a limey cocksucker. Have a good day. Well.